toilet paper. We all know what we're talking about as soon as we say that word. Father Daniel went to the co-op yesterday. There was no milk, no potatoes, no bananas. People are building up reserves for what they see as an impending crisis. Now, do we have a problem on our hands? Yes. We're taking precautions to avoid a crisis. To avoid a crisis like in Northern Italy where they don't have the medical supplies to care for everyone who is sick and doctors are backed into a corner to have to make a decision, who do they treat? Because they can't treat everyone. We're not there yet, which is why we're allowed to have mass together still on Sundays. We're not in a crisis, but we need to take precautions. But amassing resources, hoarding food and supplies, is not Christian. It's not the Christian way that we approach any sort of crisis in the world. So, what do we do? How do we approach an impending crisis as Christians? We have to remember who we are. Remember what it means to be a Christian in the world. In our first reading from the book of Exodus, the Israelites are traveling through the desert. And now they get thirsty because there's not water everywhere that they go. And so they start complaining to God, complaining to Moses. And they're complaining, well, why did you ever make us leave Egypt? We had the Nile there. We had unending water at our fingertips back in Egypt. Why don't we just go back? Let's just go back to Egypt. Forget this desert thing, and let's just go back to Egypt. And they completely forgot why they were in the desert in the first place. The reason that God was leading them for years through the desert was to take away their attachment to Egypt and her gods. She was try God was trying to purify his people so that they would have a real belief that he would care for them. But now that they're out in the wilderness and the moment that they face hardship, they go, well, God must not be here. He's abandoned us, so let's just go back to where we were before. They forgot why they were there in the first place. So what does God do? He asks Moses to strike the rock, this dead, inert rock, and from it flows water. God brings life out of what is seemingly dead. Or in the Gospel, with the Samaritan woman. First, who are the Samaritans? The Samaritans were once Jews, but in the time of exile, where the Jews were scattered all over the place, the Samaritans were Jews that were forced into marriage with non-Jews. And so what ended up happening is a lot of them started to worship other gods as a result, and they had all these mixed marriages. And so when the exile was over, when the Jews came back to Jerusalem, they were pushed off to the side because they were idol worshipers. That's why the Jews did not share things or speak with the Samaritans. So they were kind of one foot in their Jewish tradition and one foot with relying on the world. That they weren't fully abandoning God, but they weren't really following him either. And so Jesus comes to the Samaritan woman at the well. And what does he do with her and for her? He moves her from a purely material reliance in her life to looking to heavenly things. How does he do that? He says, I've got living water. She's like, great, 
I don't have to walk to this well every day. I've got my jar. Tell me where to go, and I'll go there. Jesus, no, 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 no. I've got living water. Okay, so how do I get it? Tell me how to get this. Tell me the steps that I need to take so that I can get this living water. No, 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 no. I'm the living water. And how do we know that she's moved from this material reliance in her life to looking to God for what she needs? Because when she leaves the well, it says that she leaves her jar behind. She's forgotten to get water at the well, and she runs back to her town to tell the great news of what she has discovered in Jesus. Moving from a purely material reliance in her life to spiritual certainty that God is with her in her life. Why? Because God is spirit. And those who worship God worship in spirit and in truth. So what do we do as Christians in a crisis, in a potential crisis? For me, when I was thinking about it, it brought to mind two great saints in the history of our church. Because our temptation in crisis, which is what we're seeing happening around us, is either to push other people away or to isolate ourselves, or do both at the same time. But pushing people away reminded me of St. Damien of Molokai. And if you don't know who St. Damien of Molokai is, Molokai is an, one of the Hawaiian islands, a small Hawaiian island. And way back, it was a leper colony. It was the small island where they sent all of the lepers so that they would be away from them and they wouldn't contract their disease. Well, Damien went, well, who's going to be their priest? Who's going to care for them in their disease? Who's going to bring them the sacraments? So he went to Molokai and he cared for the people and he gave them celebrated mass for them and heard their confessions. And for him, because no other priest would go, in order for St. Damien to go to confession, he would stand on the shoreline and a priest would stand in the boat out on the water and he would scream his sins out to the priest on the boat so that he could receive absolution in confession. Because St. Damien was so devoted to them, he eventually contracted leprosy and died with the people that he served. Or with the temptation to isolate ourselves, it reminded me of St. Charles Borromeo. In the 16th century, there was a plague going through Europe. And so, kind of like where we're at, they stopped having masses in churches because that would just spread the plague in a terrible way. So the church doors were closed. So what did St. Charles do? He brought the altar outside the church doors onto the street. So if you think of European streets, what he was able to do is celebrate Mass outside the churches and people were able to stay in their homes and attend Mass from their windows. And St. Charles went around bringing communion to those who were sick and he gave away tons of his clothes because when you had the plague, your clothes had to be burned to kill the disease. And he served them. What did the civil authorities do during that time? They took off because they didn't want to get the plague. So they abandoned the people and went somewhere else where the plague wasn't. St. Charles stayed. Lent is the complete opposite of building up reserves and of hoarding. What are we doing in Lent? We're giving up something of our material, what we think is our material need, 
to remind ourselves of how deep and how important our spiritual need is to get through whatever we're going through in our life. So, as Christians, how do we walk through this potential crisis in the world that we're living in? First, take real material precautions from legitimate civil authorities. Not from the media, but from legitimate civil authorities, which is how we're acting in the church. We listen to the chief medical officer of Alberta, and then we follow her directives, and we do what she asks. That's the start. But with our faith, what do we do? The first, we don't just think about ourselves. We think about everyone. We think about our families, we think about our friends, and we think about our neighbors and our community. What are the needs of everyone and how can I help supply for those needs? So that we're not building up to protect ourselves, but we're living through this together. We're not a bunch of individuals in this, we are a community. So to avoid that temptation of just building on self-reliance, because the moment that we do that, whether we're realizing it or not, we're also blocking out God. The moment that we've put our full reliance on, if I just get enough toilet paper and hand sanitizer and enough food, then I will survive. We need God. We need God to know how to walk through this. Second, we're Christians, so we pray. If you want an example, here's Psalm 4, and how Psalm 4, I think, fits with what we're living. Maybe it's a little bit overboard, but it fits. When I call, answer me, O God of justice. From anguish you released me, have mercy and hear me. O men, how long will your hearts be closed? Will you love what is futile and seek what is false? It is the Lord who grants favors to those whom he loves. The Lord hears me whenever I call him. Fear him, do not sin. Ponder on your bed and be still. Make justice your sacrifice and trust in the Lord. What can bring us happiness, many say. Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. You have put into my heart a greater joy than they have from abundance of corn and new wine. I will lie down in peace and sleep comes at once. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And finally, so that we don't end up like the Israelites who face suffering and forget that God is with them, God is with us. Suffering in the world doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. And this is a quote from Pope Francis that I often use when I'm preaching at funerals, so you may have heard me use this quote before. But it's from his encyclical, The Joy of the Gospel. And I think it's just really captures how our faith walks us through difficulty. And this is what he says. I realize that joy is not expressed the same way at all times in life, especially in moments of great difficulty. Joy adapts and changes, but it always endures, even as a flicker of light born of our personal certainty that when everything is said and done, we are infinitely loved. 